You'll try to take out my guards, right? I have five of them that you don't know about. You'll try to have Lyle hack the system. So I'll change it again tomorrow morning. And what, what, what was your, your final move? I mean, you're gonna have Bridger's daughter come in and try to crack my safe? I mean, that's, that's very poetic and all, but I just don't see it. I don't think she'll get anywhere near it. Same old Steve, huh? Always thinking defensively. That's why you're always number two. Expert thieves try to steal gold back from the man who betrayed them. Join us as we chat about villains named Steve, what Mini Coopers have in common with Ioli, and why Vladimir Putin should have watched this movie. Then we find out if 2003's The Italian Job stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. My name is Alan Noah. I am one of your two hosts. The other host, that's the guy sitting right across from me. It's James Brief. Hey, everyone. I'm here for the Italian job. Um, Yeah. I mean, it sounded weird when you said it. It sounded like a like a dirty sex thing, maybe? Uh, yeah, I think uh, that might have been more of like a, so the way like a family guy character would have done it. I'm here for the Italian job. And like, they'll say it five more times until it's funny. Right, right. And then it won't be funny. And then it's kind of funny again. And then you do it one too many times. Right. I gave up on Family Guy years ago. Um, I've seen it once in a while. It's kind of background. It's, it's almost come to the point where it's just, it's very juvenile, but not in the South Park. Like, ah, juvenile, but... Brilliant, Mr. Stone. Brilliant, Mr. Parker. I like what you, the commentary on the uh, boy band craze in High School Musical. Very well done. Exactly. Yeah, I just, I found it to be tiresome at a certain point. Maybe I just got too old. Yeah, perhaps. But, you know, I was thinking now, we are at the halfway point of 2023. And I have to say, one of my favorite things that we do on this podcast is the box office predictions we do uh, at the beginning of the year, and we see how we're going to do by the end. And usually, uh, you know, one of us is slightly better than the other. One makes one bad prediction. One makes one really good prediction. I have to say, wow, my predictions have been decimated this year. I have been horrible. And uh, I had picked number one for the year to be Indiana Jones on Dial of Destiny, number two to be Fast X, and number three to be uh, Guardians 3. Actually, the only one pick that I was really pessimistic on, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, that's the only one of my picks that's actually doing pretty well. And uh, you picked uh, number one was going to be Little Mermaid, Mm -hmm. two was going to be Indy, and three, did you pick Mario? I did, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been surprising that Indiana Jones, Little Mermaid, even Guardians, like, didn't do that amazing. Did well, and certainly did better than a lot of the other Marvel movies that have come out uh, immediately before it, but didn't really do amazing gangbusters. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, as of right now, is the number three film uh, in America. 
And it's a number one uh, Marvel film because Spider-Man Across the uh, Spider-Verse is not Marvel. That That's Sony. Mm-hmm. So it uh, it beat Ant-Man and Quantumania. And that was a big flop for Marvel, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, Transformers Rise of the Beast uh, didn't do that well. Fast X uh, kind of puttered out at a, a barely $150 million. Um, Scream 6 did very well. And uh, John Wick 4 did very well. But um, one movie that I was kind of wondering, is this going to be a secret blockbuster? Turns out, hell no, The Flash was not a a blockbuster. And it was tracking to be one of the biggest uh, superhero disasters of all time, which replaces what previously this year was going to be one of the biggest superhero disasters of all time, Shazam 2, A Fury of the Gods. So in a year where, you know, you have hits like Cocaine Bear and, you know, staples of Marvel films are doing poorly, I think this is really perhaps signaling a shift that, uh, you know, the old way of just doing, you know, we'll just have Vin Diesel drive around again. I made that mistake. I thought that audiences might eat it up at least one more time. But also, I kind of made that prediction when I thought Fast X was going to be basically the end. And as they were promoting Fast X, Vin Diesel's like, oh, it's the beginning of two or maybe a trilogy. And, you know, I think that lost a little bit of the hype rather than being being like the final episode. So uh, I think it's kind of fascinating and I look forward to next year, you know, uh, you know, really uh, thinking about it a little more carefully. But I'm really proud of your son for saying that across the Spider-Verse and Mario, he was saying that he was excited about because, you know, it should have listened to him better. Yeah. I'm, the one thing that did kind of cross my mind about it is like release date, like when these movies come out. Mario came out right at spring break time. And I realize that that's not really totally accurate because it's spring break time here in New York and in certain other places, but in various parts of the country, spring break starts at different times. But like, I think that really, really helps because when kids are out of school, they need something to do. Parents need something to do. And they're going to go and see the movie that is the only movie playing, really. And also, there's tons of history with the IP and everything like that. That certainly helped. But I was just thinking about, like, some of these other movies, like, when did Little Mermaid come out? Like, around Memorial Day? Eh, so what? There was other stuff playing then, you know? I have to disagree. Uh, As a pediatrician, I can kind of tell you a little... uh, I have my button on, like, what the kids are really into, and... They went crazy for this Super Mario film. And I think the reason it made a billion dollars is in the end, it was a well-made film. I think uh, Illumination, that, that's the company that made yep. it. Yep. I just think, uh, you know, they did it again with the Despicable Me, Minions films. I'm not saying they're making the greatest animated film of all time, but they know how to make a crowd-pleasing film. And The Little Mermaid, uh, you know, it, it did the same thing. I'm sorry, it came out like Memorial Day weekend. It should have done better. Like Elemental did very poorly. One film that... Uh, did better than I thought it would, even though it didn't really do that well, was uh, the movie you predicted would be a huge flop. It wasn't a a big hit, but uh, Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, I was really surprised how well it was received, and it made uh, just under $100 million. I predict it's going to be very popular on streaming, because it seems like everyone who watched it uh, did like it. 
But um, I'm also learning that films that maybe pre-COVID people would have watched in the theater, movies like Air, about the Air Jordan shoes. Yeah. I just think people are thinking... I don't need to see this right now when I could see this in a in a couple weeks. Yeah. When I saw Indy in the theater, do you know how much I paid in Manhattan? How much did you pay? 18, something like that. I was going to pay $26 a ticket, which is a lot. I, I was paying for both tickets. My friend was going to Venmo me. And it was $52. I'm like, what? We actually wound up seeing it because the, the theater wasn't the right one we wanted to see. We went to a different theater. And that was a more appropriate $21. But, you know, for $21 or even $26, hell yeah, I'm seeing Indiana Jones in the theater. But I don't think I'm seeing movies like Air anymore in the theaters. You know, unless I have nothing to do or something else or it's like, this is the film of the year. Like... I'll just see it in six weeks, you know? It's going to be on streaming. Yeah, I totally get that. Like, um, Elemental, you mentioned. I'm 100% going to watch Elemental. I love Pixar, but I'll see it on streaming. You know, like, I'm not going to to race out to, to pay money for that. And then also, I feel like, well, then I'm part of the problem, right? Because there's always critiques and I make those critiques too of like all they do in Hollywood is make remakes and reboots and sequels and stuff like that and that's really what I'm spending my money on at the box office I saw The Little Mermaid I saw Guardians 3 I saw Ant-Man 2 like I saw Indy 5 like I'm paying money for those movies the sequels the remakes the reboots and I'm not paying the money to go see Elemental and I should because that's like the kind of original ideas that I I should be supporting. But yeah, I just kind of fall into the, the temptation you're talking about of like, eh, I'll just see it on streaming. I don't need to see it right away. I also think a reason why Elemental is not doing as well is simply because it's not as good a movie. And I'm saying this as someone who hasn't seen it, but I'm saying, you know, you could write all about why Lightyear didn't do well. In the end, I, I think it just wasn't apparently that great a film. I, I just think in the end, you make something good, people are going to like it, and they're going to go and see it because they want to be entertained for a few hours. But you really got to put their butts in the seats for a reason. They probably have to, you know, step it up a little bit. But you give us Mario, and you give us those kids that walk into my uh, office and they just go peaches 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 they're hysterical over it and uh and they'll make their parents take them five times i only saw it once in the theater with my kids but you also don't have five-year-old kids anymore that's true but it was entertaining i did enjoy it but let's talk about the italian job this was a movie that you picked why did you want to watch this movie um, because I've been considering getting rid of Netflix after, you know, I, I mean, it's Shock. almost, uh, yeah, it's almost, I don't know, 15, 20 years. I certainly had back in the DVD days. So sure. I don't know, what was that, probably 2007 or something. So yeah, maybe 15 years I've had it. I could afford the 15 bucks, but it's one of those, I notice I just never watch it. So why not just clip it? Maybe when... Uh, Cobra Kai, the final season comes out, I'll uh, get it again. Or maybe I'll just, you know, 
maybe there'll be something else I want to watch in it again. But for right now, I've just been kind of getting bored with it because there's other uh, streamers that I watch better. So while I've not made the final decision, I was telling you uh, when you're like, what do you want to watch next week? I was like, I think I want to watch a few more Netflix films like while I'm still subscribing. So I went through them. An Italian job. I haven't seen this film around since the time it came out. I don't think I saw it in the theaters. I feel like this might have been like a DVD rental kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I kind of wanted to watch it again. Okay. I had never seen it. I remember the DVD cover, the movie poster, you know, with uh, Charlize Theron and uh, Mark Wahlberg and the, the double yellow line between them. But for anyone who hasn't seen it, this movie is about John Bridger, who's a career thief who pulls off one last heist in Venice. But he and his team are double-crossed by one of their team members, Steve. Steve murders John and leaves the rest of the crew for dead and escapes with all the gold that they stole together. A year later, the team tracks down Steve and decides to get revenge and steal back their gold. Charlie Croker is their leader, Handsome Rob is the driver, Left Ear is their demolitions expert, and Lyle is their hacker. They also enlist the help of John Bridger's daughter, Stella, who's an expert safecracker. The team has an element of surprise on their side until Steve figures out who Stella is. That forces the team to change their plans at the last minute in order to recover the stolen gold. So this movie came out in 2003. It's a remake of a 60s movie. But how did this movie do at the box office? This film did uh, pretty well. It opened on May 30th, 2003. This film came in at number three uh, with uh, $19 million. But I was looking at the top five films, of which was number three, and they all had sequels of very varying uh, success. Number one film of uh, this week was also a new release, and it had an even more successful uh, uh, sequel, which made over a billion dollars, and you definitely saw it because you just said you love this company, this production company. Uh, was it a Pixar movie? Yes, and this is a film whose sequel did even better at the box office than the first one. I would say the first one was a better film, but the second one did better. 2003, so it's not Toy Story, uh, it's not Cars. Is it Cars? No, it's not, but you're in the right era. Incredibles. No, no, no. Here's your hint. The secondary character in this film is the star of the second film. Um, The star of the second film is voiced by a former talk show host. Oh, Finding Nemo, Finding Dory. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, second film was a very popular Jim Carrey film whose sequel did not star Jim Carrey and almost sunk the career of a very, very promising comedian before it started. Gotcha. Bruce Almighty, Evan Almighty. That's right. That's right. Number three was The Italian Job, which I'm sorry, didn't have a sequel, uh, but they've always been talking about the sequel, The Brazilian Job, for years. But number four... This was a blockbuster film, did so well financially, but this film and the subsequent sequels never reached the critical uh, and belovedness of the first film, and uh, you and I did not like the second, third films nearly as much as the first film. Oh, Matrix. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fourth film, you're not going to guess it, but because the second film was such a, it was like a, almost an unknown film. But the first film starred uh, Eddie Murphy in his era of like, oh no, there's another Eddie Murphy film that's going to come out here and isn't really not good. Right. Um, this film 
what was called Daddy Daycare. I remember that one, yeah. Do you remember what the sequel that I don't believe had Eddie Murphy in it was called? No. Daddy Day Camp. Oh, okay. Oh, boy. But, uh, yeah, so uh, the uh, the Italian job had a $60 million budget, wound up with $106 million domestically, $176 worldwide. And this was around the time when there were a lot of these kinds of movies, and by these kind, I mean remakes of old heist movies. So there was Ocean's Eleven, which we reviewed the 2001 version, I think, the George Clooney, Brad Pitt one, but that was a, an old Rat Pack movie. There was The Thomas Crown Affair. Uh, there were there were a couple more. I'm, I'm blanking on some of the other ones, but this was sort of like a mini trend in the early 2000s of heist movies that were remakes of old heist movies. Well, everyone loves a good heist movie. I mean, a heist movie well done is, is just really fun. I remember there was a film around that time called Heist, uh, ironically also starring uh, Edward Norton. These films are just really fun to make. And after the success of you know Ocean's Eleven, why not keep doing it? Right, exactly. And it's easy to see why people would want to sign on to make their own version of Ocean's Eleven. Except apparently for Ed Norton, who really, really did not want to be on the set of this movie. He did it because he had to. He owed Paramount three movies. The only movie he really actually wanted to do was Primal Fear. And I feel like Ed Norton kind of has something of this reputation, right? Where if he wants to make a movie, he will be all in and he is gung-ho and he will do a fantastic job but you know like when he did that hulk movie he kind of maybe didn't really want to be there and they didn't really want to bring him back for sequels and they recast him i have to be honest when i read that trivia like after watching the movie that ed norton didn't want to be here for this movie it did not surprise me in the movie it seemed like he didn't want to be there yeah, I mean, it does kind of make sense. I read that same trivia. Maybe it was like the method acting thing, but I did not think this was one of those casts that like Edward Norton and uh, Charlie Stone were drinking, you know, and having a good time between sets. Yeah, he, he definitely seems like he doesn't want to be there. Also, his name is Steve. No offense to anyone named Steve. I have very good friends named Steve. One of them, I'm sure, is listening to this podcast episode. And Steve, I love you dearly. Steve is not a very good villain name. It's just not. It's not at all intimidating. By the way, neither is Alan. Like, I wouldn't be intimidated by a bad guy named Alan in a movie. Um, but it's just, oh, no, we have to outsmart the criminal mastermind, Steve. They could have given him, like, a cool nickname or or something. I, I just was not intimidated by Steve. Well, in the 1990s, there was that, uh, it was fictional, the criminal mastermind in uh, Chicago. There was that cop that was always hunting him down, uh, Steve um, Urkel. That's it. Yes, the infamous villain, Steve Urkel. Exactly. Like, Steve is just a guy I know. I'm not saying Steve's a, a bad name for a villain. I disagree with that. I'm just saying Edward Norton does not look like a Steve. <laughs> and also his mustache is really weird. I didn't mind the mustache. I mean, I think I thought it kind of gave him a douchey look, which I think he's supposed to be a scumbag. I thought it was kind of a scumbag mustache in a weird way. Right, right. You know, this movie did address one thing that I've thought about in heist movies, crime movies, a lot of movies, which is they steal all of this gold at the very beginning of the movie. And then it's like, well, 
what are you going to do with it? Because these gold bars are imprinted, clearly they are easily identifiable, so they're worth a lot of money, but it's not actual money, and in order to sell it, you are going to be exposing yourself, and then the authorities can find you, the other bad guys can find you, etc., etc. So I kind of like that in this movie, that's sort of like Steve's problem. He's got all of this gold, but he's only able to sell it very slowly, like brick by brick, and it's really frustrating. He does clearly have money. He's got tons of money. He's living in a mansion. He's got the Aston Martin. So he's been able to sell enough of it, I guess. But um, I just kind of appreciated that, that like the movie sort of acknowledges that fact that like you can steal all this stuff and then you're not just instantly rich. Right, that that's a very good point. Um, you know, in the Oceans films, like I remember most recently watching Oceans 8. Okay. Uh, that's the Sandra Bullock-led film. And what they do is they basically steal all these like Hope Diamond-like jewels. And it's different from a, a film where they steal a safe full of cash. I mean, you do need to launder that somehow. Right. You, know, you can't go, you can't buy a house with, uh, with a necklace. Exactly. So uh, I thought that was an interesting aspect here. Cause, and, and also it does lead lead to the subplot that, you know, you're obviously dealing with, like, the mafia. Um, Edward Norton's character winds up, he's very greedy. Like, in the beginning, they're kind of talking about, oh, how are you going to split your $25 million share? And everyone's talking about how they're rich. Like, dude, you could have had $25 million and not be on the hunt from all these people, but instead he decided to take, you know, the whole $200 million for himself. Later in the film, when he's... Uh, dealing with one of these uh, guys, the, the launderers that's buying his gold from him. The guy says something, and then Edward Norton, like, shoots him. Like, he could have easily bought this guy off or, or something, or, or, like, he doesn't think too far, I, I don't think. I don't think that he's too smart, because the mob now is now looking for this killer, and they find this huge guy who is so well cast. I mean, this guy is, like enormous like seven and a half foot tall like body like he looks like this huge bouncer and then uh, there's a later scene when mark Wahlberg goes to him and he's like why'd you tell him and he goes there's three people i don't mess with something something and ukrainians right and i love that line because it's kind of like russia might be learning that uh, right now like don't piss him off. Like this guy said, maybe had Putin watched the Italian job, he might have strategized differently. Right, right. The big guy is named Skinny Pete. That's a good name. That's a good name for a character. Skinny Pete, and he's a really big guy. Oh, yeah, like Tiny Lister. Uh, he's in like the Friday movies. He's in a lot of these films. His, his nickname is Tiny. Right, 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 right. Another kind of trope of these kinds of movies the oceans movies as well is like the heroes of the movie are thieves and so you know that's bad stealing's bad we all know that we all learn that in sunday school saturday school religious school whatever but they're stealing from other bad guys so it's okay and you know at the beginning of the movie they're stealing this gold from some other organized crime group so it's fine. And then they're stealing their gold back from Steve. So it's fine. And also, these guys are not killers. I think Donald Sutherland in the beginning even like calls attention to that. Like, oh, we stole millions and millions of dollars in gold and we never even fired a shot. And I think later on in the movie, they do have guns, but they never shoot them. They don't 
kill people. They're not like really bad guys. It's okay to root for them because they're not hurting people and they're only stealing from bad people. So that makes it okay for the audience, I guess. I think that's a very good point. Like the people they steal from in Venice in the opening scene, this isn't some like old Italian family that, you know, that's kind of sucks that they're stealing from them. This is like the guys are like, they have like the black beanies on, you know, the random henchmen guarding it and it serves them right. It's probably used for trafficking and drug deals and weapons. These people do not look like they're up to anything good. Right, right. Maybe you thought of this, maybe not. But like that opening scene that takes place in Venice, you know, it's a action packed scene. That's the only part of the movie that takes place in Italy. And the movie's called The Italian Job. I kept waiting for there to be some twist where, hey, guys, we're going to have to go back to Italy. Nope. The entire rest of the movie takes place in L.A. Mostly a couple other scenes, but I thought that was weird that they named the movie The Italian Job when only, I don't know, I didn't time it, 10, 15 minutes or so take place in Italy. That's a very good point. Um, My guess is A, perhaps the original film took place more in Italy. Maybe. Or B, I mean, the events of The Italian Job, uh, namely the murder of John, do drive the events of the entire film. Sure. But I will say The Italian Job is a cool title. Yes, it is. But I just found it to be a little anticlimactic that so much of the movie takes place in L.A. And I guess I do have a bias here. There are great, amazing movies that take place in L.A. I guess I just feel like, eh, it's been done. I've seen it. I've also seen a million movies that take place in Venice. Like, that's happened before, too. I guess I just find L.A. is a little bit of a boring backdrop, especially for like a heist movie. The Oceans movies that take place in Vegas. Yeah, that makes sense. And Vegas is a flashy town and they're going to go into the casino safe underground. Neat. But I don't know, just like, oh, look, they go through the L.A. aqueduct that I've seen in like eight trillion other movies. Uh, Okay, I thought there was going to be more. Italy stuff. Right. I don't find Los Angeles to be a particularly fun city. New York is fun. Yeah. Even Florida, you know, there's going to be golf carts and there's going to be someone drive by. Even a gator comes by or something. Like, <laughs> it's it's Los Angeles. It's always done because it's convenient. You know, they can just film right outside where, where they, uh, you know, where they operate. Exactly. And I think that is also part of my bias is that like, hey, do you guys want to make a movie? Uh, I don't know. What's it about? Well, it's about whatever. But it takes place in L.A. You can shoot at home and be home every night with your wife, husband, kids, partner, whoever. Oh, well, that's pretty damn convenient. Sure, I'll sign up. So, like, that just kind of colors the way I look at it. I just think L.A. as a backdrop is boring. You've got the Hollywood mountain, but it's not like you can really have many scenes that take place on that sign. Right. Um, So I just find L.A. to be kind of generic. Even San Francisco, you've got cable cars. You've got uh, cobblestone streets and hills. and Those crazy hills. Right. You can do a lot of stuff. Look at the opening. I know you don't like The Rock, but, you know, the opening to The Rock, you can't do this scene in any other place in the world but San Francisco. Right. Versus is usually, oh, it's, you know, generic, like, Los Angeles chase. Right. And then they make the joke, the obvious joke of, oh, we need to time how long it's going to take to get from Steve's house to the airport. But there's so much 
traffic. But I'm bummed because that's what L.A. is known for. I roll. I get it. Yeah, there's traffic in L.A. I mean, it's in every movie about L.A., Clueless. And I mean, it does lead to a very cool scene. The, the one thing I remembered in this entire film, I mean, I remember the twist in the film, but I remember that the film uh, made uh, Mini Coopers look really cool. Okay, I want to go back to the Mini Coopers. But before we do that, what's the big twist in the movie that you're referring to? Oh, I mean, I just remember that the twist is that Edward Norton, like, turns on them. Like, I mean, the twist in, like, the first scene. Oh, okay. I was asking because I was expecting more twists in this movie. And there really aren't. It's pretty straightforward. And there were opportunities because, right, the, the, the twist happens in the beginning, which was not a twist at all. Like, there's a clear shot of Steve's face where you're like, oh, he's going to betray them because he's not happy when Donald Sutherland is like, you, Mark Wahlberg, you're the real leader of this team. You're the genius. And you see Steve looks pissed, like, okay, he's going to betray them. And he does it in, you know, a couple minutes. Not much of a twist. There are no twists after that. Right. You know, like, 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 Steve figures out that Stella is his daughter, but... That's also not a huge twist. And you know what I thought was going to be a twist? When they first get to Steve's house and he loads up the the gold and there's three trucks. Oh, now it's a shell game. Which truck is it? And then Seth Green's character immediately figures out, oh, it's that one because that one's heavier. I was like, oh, no, but there's going to be a twist where they put extra weight in that one and the gold wasn't in that one no no that was it he just figured it out i i just thought there should be more twists so when you said twist that kind of uh made my ears perk up yeah i agree with you totally that there should have been the obvious twist which i like in heist films it's almost a trope of heist films but at the very end the bad guy gets away with it you just miss him no we got on the boat and now he's in international waters and the guy celebrates with the pot of gold but of course he opens it up now that he's away it wasn't the pot of gold and we have the flashback where they switched it you know right. i thought it was gonna be something like that but no they they really did you're right. Yeah. But okay, so now going back to the the Mini Coopers. This movie really felt like a very long commercial for the Mini Cooper. And I get it. Apparently, the Mini Cooper did play a role in the first movie, and so they wanted to bring it back. And I read something where it wasn't product placement in this movie. It was brand integration. You know what the difference between product placement and brand integration is? Is it the same thing as the difference between uh, this is a sandwich with aioli and this is a sandwich with mayonnaise? Yes, that is exactly right. It's the exact same thing. It just sounds a little fancier. That is exactly correct. Personally, I don't think the Mini Cooper is that cool of a car. I've been in one. I, I, I mean, whatever. It's fine. It looks a little neat, but it's just so much of... The Mini Cooper. Look at how the Mini Cooper handles. Look at how the Mini Cooper can take these turns. Isn't it so cool? Look at these great glam shots of the one Mini Cooper and then the three Mini Coopers driving together. Don't you just want to drive a Mini Cooper? I felt like it was really beating me over the head with the love of Mini Coopers. Well, I thought it made sense to have a Mini Cooper when you need a small car. You know, it would have been a perfect, perfect use of a fleet of Mini Coopers. What's that? A city like Rome in <laughs> Italy. I mean, have you ever seen The Born Identity? Yeah. I don't know if he drives a Mini Cooper or it's like one of these just really tiny European cars. 
Um, there could be a plot point of having a small car where other cars, you know, get caught in the alleyway, sure. you know, sandwiched there. And they do make it a point, yes, you do need a, a Mini Cooper for, like, the little tunnel they're going to drive through. But I think they more found, like, how can we get a Mini Cooper in here? You know, because why couldn't any other small car work? You right. Know, and it could. I, I actually thought it was fine. I, I, I just wish it was more of, like, you just brought up a really good point earlier of, like, yeah, they don't really uh, make this movie uh, in Italy at all. Like, if they make the sequel, The Brazil Job, and only the first 12-minute scene takes place in Brazil and the rest is in Los Angeles, I will again be like, why do they call this The Brazil Job? Right. Exactly. Um this is a, a random thought, but I was talking before about like how these thieves are like good because they don't kill people and stuff. Also, like with that whole car chase scene that does take place in, you know, a lot of the third act, they're killing people. Like the way they are playing around with like the stoplights in Los Angeles, the way that they like blow up a hole in the middle of a street, like they do take two seconds to show that the guards driving that armored truck are alive, they are gassed, they are not shot, they will be fine, but, like, they're causing insane amounts of collateral damage. Like, they, they drive on a train platform, and, like, you see people jumping out of the way, but, like, someone's going to jump out of the way into a wall, someone's going to jump out of the way and land on someone else and crack their skull open. Like, people are dying, you know? We've talked about this in other episodes about other movies, how, like, the collateral damage is there but you're not supposed to think about it but i was thinking about it i agree with you uh there were probably a lot of damages from the uh traffic lights definitely but i i think they really did try to make it a point when the truck falls down that like it was very safe they were like repaired the road right away by like putting down this like metal sheet but um yeah they probably killed some people here yeah yeah when they they put that metal sheet down so that you know they don't want to make the L.A. traffic any worse because, you know, the whole thing about L.A. is the traffic. Ugh. But, James, what do you think about this movie overall? Do you think that the 2003 Italian job stands the test of time? Um, you know, we talked about Mark Wahlberg and Charlize Theron. Edward Norton we talked about as well. It's a phenomenal cast. Uh, you've got Seth Green, who's, I think, really good in this film, in the role that is good for him. He's kind of the punk hacker. you got Moe's Def. Uh, he's uh, he's fantastic. I thought he was really good. He was a very popular uh, actor for a while, and I don't think he's acting as much. I don't, I don't see him in as much. Um, Donald Sutherland, always good. I mean, he's just... He's got this voice, and it's just such a great voice. And he's got this really good mentor uh, gravitas to Mark Wahlberg's character, and I really like that instant chemistry. There's just a scene when he, when Donald Sutherland like looks at Mark Wahlberg, and he's just like, "I'm so proud of you for this uh, uh, for this stunt you pulled." Um, and also, I got to talk about Jason Statham. I, I mean, he's so fun to watch. I always love a guy who's, you know, an action guy who doesn't necessarily look like Stallone and Arnold in the 80s because Jason Statham can kick ass and I really believe it. And I just think he's real fun and he's he's kind of a man's man, but 
just a cool presence. And but but he doesn't kick any ass in this movie. He doesn't he, like beat anyone up. You're right. He in this film he doesn't. You're right. And he didn't in Snatch, the other movie we saw with him. He doesn't really do much fighting in that movie either. Really? Okay. Well, I just recently saw him in the ridiculous, but oh, so much fun movie, The Meg, and he's basically like fighting huge megalodons and everything. And wait, it's he a, fights the huge no, shark? No, he doesn't like fight him but he's just it's it's like it's a role if he didn't get cast in this film the rock would have been cast in this role it's not like his small films like crank and the transporter you know even from small films like the italian job i just like him and i say all this because it's sort of like oceans 11 where it's just such a fun cast yeah edward norton really sticks out but he's still great in the film because he's edward norton and he's such a scumbag because he's really having a bad time and it kind of works out well um the difference between this and oceans 11 is that it's not nearly as slick um the opening scene is fantastic i think really i don't think there's really any flaw with the opening scene i think the Venice job is really well done. I was tricked in the beginning, even with the like the the, the dummy safe that they take. I thought it was all well done. Um, the movie really does slow down for a while, for about an hour until the last scene. Mm-hmm. I thought they could have had like a mini little heist to get some of their equipment they needed or something just to spice it up a little bit. I, I was surprised how slow it got in the middle, but you know, overall, I actually I think the film stands up. Actually, I don't think it's great. It does not. Uh, hold a candle to Ocean's Eleven which is a heist film but also it's a great slick film but you know similarly fun cast I think it was short enough this film I feel like today this film would have been two hours and 27 minutes and it really didn't need to be yeah, the film was like two hours, you know, standard for a film. It probably could have cut a little bit, but uh, I, I didn't think it was boring. I thought it was good enough. I thought the ending was fun. Don't think about it too much because it doesn't make sense that much. But overall for me, it was an entertaining way to spend two hours. I haven't seen the film in 15 years. This is definitely a, pl- a movie I'll watch on a plane in 2038 or something. <laughs> so uh, that, that's what I say. It stands up. Uh, What do you think, Al? Does this film stand the test of time? Well, let me start with some things that don't stand the test of time. Lyle, the Seth Green character, won't shut up about the fact that he really invented Napster. And Napster, as a reference in 2003 when the movie came out, was understood by everyone in the theater. Now... I don't think anyone knows what Napster is. I mean, people our age do, but I don't think that has really, like, transcended time. I don't think it's a thing that people really remember. Sean Fanning plays himself. He does a little cameo. He's the guy who invented Napster. No one knows who the fuck Sean Fanning is. I had to Google that. I didn't remember his name. That's absolutely true. For me, knowing the story, I found it very charming. And I did think, uh, I thought Sean Fanning actually played a fun role, kind of making fun of himself that he stole his you know, biggest claim to fame. Uh, but as I was watching it, I was like, no one knows who the fuck this is. And this does not work very well. And you're right, Napster just didn't really uh, you know, transcend the zeitgeist to 2023. Right. I I almost even feel like MySpace would be a better reference today. Like people would know what it is, even though they don't use it anymore. You know, um, 
at one point they see Steve who is watching his monster TV. I believe they refer to it as a monster TV. It looks like it's maybe 42 inches. It's not a monster TV. I mean, like, there's just way bigger TVs today that would be way more impressive. But really, when you were talking about all of the the great actors in this movie, I cannot deny that Charlize Theron and Donald Sutherland and Mark Wahlberg are amazing actors. But I don't think they are amazing in this movie. I really found them to be very flat, very boring, very vanilla. And, you know, Seth Green, Mostef, um, Jason Statham, they were okay. I guess I expect maybe a little bit less of them just because I'm less familiar with all of their work. And I don't know, has Seth Green ever delivered an amazing acting performance? Maybe he has. I haven't seen it. Airborne, which you're eventually going to see. No, thanks. But like Jason Statham's fine when I've seen him. Mostef, I liked him very much in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But Everyone in this movie felt very flat. It felt very muted. Like I was saying before about like I was expecting another twist. There isn't. It's just very like plain, very middle of the road, very like boring. It didn't really like hold my attention. I did find it a little tedious. I thought the third act went on too long. Honestly, it didn't help that we watched this movie right after watching Smokey and the Bandit. And one of my problems with that movie was it was just like, hey, how are we going to get out of this? It's with crazy driving. There was a lot of that in this movie's third act. It's not the entire movie like it was with Smokey and the Bandit, but I was just tired of it. And um, no, I just don't think this movie is that great or interesting or fun or Italian. And so I'm going to say that it does not stand the test of time. That's a fair uh, assessment. Uh, I happen to have an affinity for heist films, so I think I like them a little bit more. For me, a heist film, I think I have a little lower bar to, to enjoy it. And But I agree, the, the Italian job is not the first one I'd recommend. But, uh, you know, enjoyable if you like the genre. Sure, 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 sure. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, in honor of the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, Mutant Mayhem, I think is the, the subtitle, we are going to watch the 2007 animated movie that is simply titled TMNT. Which stands for? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's true. Uh, do you know what it would be called if we were in England in the 90s? Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Tortoises? No. In fact, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Because apparently ninja was a word that you really couldn't say. I did not know that. Now you do. Well, thank you. Uh, But looking forward to talking about that movie next week. As always, guys, we want to hear from you. We are at Test and Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and threads. Send us a message. Write to us. Say hi. Let us know what you think about the Italian job, uh, about Edward Norton, about Mini Coopers, about L.A. as a backdrop. And uh, we will see you next time, everybody. Bye. Bye.